0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, it's time to open the Bible together and we have been in the book of Genesis and so let's turn there together and now we're getting to Genesis in chapter 15 and I say things like this from time to time and every time I say it I'm quite sure that I mean it that uh, that Genesis 15 might be my favorite chapter in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, we've been reading and studying together the life of who is uh, now at this time Abram, who we know as Abraham, the father of the faithful. And we've been studying the faith of our father, the life of Abraham. We're coming now to Genesis chapter 15. And as you're turning there, it's on page 10. uh, As you're going to Genesis chapter 15, uh, there's something about... uh, anticipation and struggle and frustration that we may feel today that could put us in an understanding of Abraham's shoes a bit uh, because when it keeps snowing like this and the calendar you know, moves on and you start to think about spring you get this longing sense of frustration saying is winter ever going to end? Right? Is spring ever going to come? And it is that sense of transitory tension where we are in one place, but we long to be in another, that gives us a scope of understanding where Abraham is in a small sense. Or maybe in another way, if you know what it is like to wait and wait and wait for something to come that has been promised to you, you know even in a fuller sense what Abraham is facing here. We find Abram in chapter 15, having been given a glorious promise by God that he will have, do you remember the the three things of the Abrahamic covenant? Land, seed, and blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. And in chapter 15, Abram is approaching a 100 years old and there's still no children. And we find him there in a sense of disquieted disruption, and we can enter into where Abram is here and perhaps see something of the tensions and frustrations and sorrows that we have known living in a fallen world and draw from Abram a wonderful sense of confidence and hope, but especially the main thing that we're going to see here today is that God meets our struggling faith with assurance. God meets our struggling faith with assurance. That is the the main point of chapter 15, and we'll see it together, that God meets our struggling faith with assurance, and we need assurance for our faith. And so let's pray and read God's word this morning in Genesis in chapter 15. Lord, we thank you for the Bible We're so thankful for this church and this place to be warm and safe and under the teaching of your word. Lord, we pray that as we both read and hear your word today, that it would rest upon our hearts in faithful obedience to receive it as the truth and as truth to transform our lives. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in the power of your word today and by it do a wonderful work in every single one of us, we ask. In the power of Jesus' name, amen. And now hear God's word. We're looking at the first six verses of chapter 15. Hear the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. but The word of God abides forever. And so we'll be keeping our Bibles open here in chapter 15. I said that it's one of my favorite chapters, and I do significantly mean that, but... Uh, in relationship to last week, I especially appreciate the fact that there are less complicated names in chapter 15 than there were in chapter 14. Uh, what I want us to see here, though, in chapter 15 is uh, three things that really uh, focus around one reality. The reality is the promise that God has made to Abram, but Abram is struggling with it. We want to see that Abram is struggling to have patience with this promise. We'll see that in verses one, two, and three, that Abram is struggling with patience with this promise. And then in verses four and five, we'll see that God gives him a picture of the promise. And then in verse six, we will see the purpose of the promise, right? Everybody loves alliteration, patience, picture, and purpose of the promise that God has made to Abram. In the first three verses though, we find Abram, Struggling, no doubt, to have patience with the promise that God has given to him. Look again at verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And these things, of course, is the narrative that we've known of Abram's life from chapter 12 on to here. But especially in chapter 14, the, the incredible military drama that unfolded in chapters 14. But the emphasis in verse 1 is on what happens, namely, that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, in the Old Testament, it often speaks of visions and dreams, uh, but when dreams are mentioned, it is more for the purposes of pictorial revelation. But when the word vision is used, the emphasis is on spoken revelation, particularly the word of God. And so the emphasis in verse 1 is what the word of God is saying to Abram. So, emphasis on word, that God is speaking to Abram. The last time that the Lord spoke to Abram was in chapters 13. Uh, After Lot departed to go east from Canaan, it says that the Lord spoke to Abram there in chapters 13, verse 17. But now, the word has come again to Abram speaking this. Again, verse 1. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And the question that comes to mind is, why is it that God, uh, the triune God, why is it that he begins speaking to Abram with this negative statement? Fear not. Do not be afraid. And you think to yourself, well, what reason would Abram have to be afraid at this juncture? And you could possibly come up with a number of things. What is Abram afraid of? Why does God come speaking this word of fear not? Well, for one thing, back in chapter 14, if you remember, Abram had forsaken the blessings of the king of Sodom, King Bera, who wanted to give Abram all of the riches of Sodom that had been plundered by King Lamor, And King Bera was saying, here, take it. You can have it. And Abram said, no, I want God to bless me. I don't want these material things from the unrighteous. And maybe Abram perhaps is rethinking his decision. He was a man of means, a man of equity, a man who had lots of livestock. And maybe he was regretting the fact that he didn't receive those things. And so God comes speaking a word of fear not. That maybe that Abram thought he was lacking in some ways. Maybe, doubtful, maybe Abram is fearful that the military uprising that just came from the east and attacked the lands of the west that Abram was able to save Lot from, maybe that's going to come back. Maybe the military forces of Kirlamor Lamor are going to rise up against Abram again. Maybe he's afraid of that. Or when we see things like this in the rest of the Bible, when the Almighty God visits, especially by way of a, an angel perhaps, a messenger, there is terror at the reception of the visitor. And when God says to Abram, fear not, it's because Abram is legitimately terrified to be in the presence of the Almighty, the infinitely holy God. Or maybe it's just simply because God knows that Abram is a man given to fear. Like me, like you. Isn't it interesting that God comes to Abram speaking a word of comfort, fear not, in the midst of a situation where Abraham finds himself with these glorious promises yet unfulfilled. And Abram is wondering, is what God said true? Will God do what he said he will do? Is God's word true? And God comes to Abram speaking this word of comfort, fear not. You know, God knows us. He knows you and he knows that our lives are often absolutely overwhelmed with fear. We're afraid of all kinds of things. We usually don't admit it, of course. But God comes speaking this word of kindness to his people, a word of protection. Abram, I am your shield. And this word of assurance, your reward shall be very great he so comes speaking this word of protection, this word of assurance, this word of confidence. Fear not, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. And it's that issue of the reward, the blessing, the promises that Abram is struggling over so much, right? See him in verses two and three. Abram said, in response to this reward that you've mentioned, Lord, what? What would you give me? How can I have this reward? As you said, I'll have this offspring, I'll have this blessing, but Lord, there's none. I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. This is the first time in Genesis and this is the first time in the narratives of Abram that Abram speaks to God. So far, God has been the one speaking to Abram, but now Abram responds for the first time and his response is troubled, isn't it? Abram is here, having received these glorious promises, having moved his family, having uh, rendered obedience in the land of Canaan, but now struggling to have patience with the promise because he doesn't see it. Lord, you said this would happen, but it hasn't. And not only that, I don't see any prospects of it happening either. He doesn't see the fulfillment, and so he attempts to answer his own question lord i continue childless and so is it your plan that eleazar is going to inherit my house and in the ancient near east uh abram would have had servants in his house and chief among the servants is clearly this man eleazar and if you had no children uh the inheritance would go to your heir who was not a blood relative but the first of your house who was eleazar and abram says is that is that who's going to inherit the promises I mean, you told me it would be one of my offspring, but the the only one who is there to inherit is Eleazar. Will this go to my servant? Will my lineage go through him? Is the promises fulfilled through Eleazar? We see Abram struggling here, right? Having patience with the promise. Here's the application very quickly. It's very clear, isn't it? That faithful Abram, Abram, who we call Abraham, who we speak of as the The faithful one struggles to believe. You know, again, we oftentimes think of biblical characters as some kind of superheroes, but Abrams is a man. He's just like you. He struggles to believe what God has told him. Now, I want us to understand that when Abram is struggling with this promise, it is not characteristic of unbelief. Abram is not unbelieving. He is just wrestling to understand and confirm the promises of God. I want us to see in this that there is a freedom as a believer to wrestle with God's word. That it is okay to wrestle and struggle and find tension and seek to resolve what God has said. Now distinguish this. This is not some sinful tantrum that Abram is throwing. right? He is not disbelieving here. He is not calling God a liar. He is not irreverently saying, Lord, you said, and where is it, and I want it. No, he is reverently saying what? In verse 2, Oh, Lord God. Reverently calling upon the name of God. He is in reverence saying, Lord, I trust you, but I am struggling to trust you. And you've been in a place like that too. And it is good and right that we remind ourselves that there is freedom and faith to wrestle with God at times. Listen to what Calvin says. Calvin says, our Heavenly Father does not act so strictly with us, his children, as to not suffer himself to be questioned by us. A loving father receives children, his own children, when they say, Dad, why? And our Heavenly Father is a patient Father in such a way that rather than cast us away when we come with our questions, he receives. And Abram wants to know why. Because these promises matter to him. Lord, why is this happening? Again, this is not characteristic of unbelief. Don't misunderstand what Abram is saying or the attitude in which he is saying it. He is wrestling with the promises that he's received from God because he believes God, he believes the promises, but he's not seeing it and he wants to know what what will become of this. So we can distinguish here, right? Unbelief dismisses and rejects God's word, right? Unbelief just says no. But belief, characteristic of biblical faith, is a wrestling with and a struggling with asking questions of and seeking to confirm the word of God rather than rejecting it. It is a mark of true Christian faith to wrestle and ask questions and ask why. If you were taught that faith asks no questions, then you are not in the line of Abraham's faith. It's okay to ask questions. In fact, it is one of the main ways you will grow as a Christian is by asking those questions. Lord, why? Suffice it to say, you will not break God's promises by wrestling with them. And we see Abram here wrestling. He is struggling to have patience with the promise, but he is believing. And God is gracious. God is merciful. God meets our struggling faith with assurance. And that's what verses 4 and 5 say to us. We see here, secondly, this picture, the picture of the promise. God meets the struggling faith of Abraham. He says in verse 4, Not Eleazar. Not Eleazar. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, speaking of Eleazar from verse 2, This man, your servant, who is not your blood relative, shall not be your heir. Literally, translated, You shall have your very own son shall be your heir. From your own flesh. Literally in Hebrew, from your loins. We don't talk like that anymore. But he's saying, a blood relative, a biological son, shall be the heir of your home. And God says to him, I've told you this. I've told you this several times. And I know that you're struggling. And so instead of just telling you, now I'm going to what? I'm going to show you. And uh, I was thinking about this, that... uh, That cookbook and magazine publishers know this rule, right? That if you want to get people to use your recipe, you don't make the text of the recipe the best, most visible thing. You do what? You put a picture. right? And you look at that and you say, that looks good. I'm going to make that. The picture is huge. The text is small. God leads Abram outside. God leads Abram outside under the night sky to gaze at the stars, and you know, uh, we live in a particular area where we're privileged to be able to look up and see the stars. stars, you know, they've fascinated scientists and philosophers and musicians and dreamers of all kinds of people. People look up at the stars and think any number of things from pagan astrology to understanding the creation. The stars. God takes Abram there where we're told that uh, the, the observable Sky from the naked human eye can see something like 5,000 stars. Roughly, they say. You're likely not going to count them. But look at what Abram receives from God. Verse 5. And the Lord brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them there is a divine acknowledgement of the impossibility of the task. Number them, if you are able, for the purpose of saying, Abram, end of verse 5, so shall your offspring be. As numerous as the stars in the sky, Abram, is the reality of my promise to you of offspring, seed, a child, and not just one, but children. Number them. This is your posterity. Uh, Elsewhere in the Bible, in chapter 13, uh, God tells Abram that you will have children as the dust of the earth, and in chapters 22 and 32, the metaphor is sand of the shores. Stars of the sky, dust of the earth, sand of the shores. And in this way, God is saying to Abram, my word is true look at the stars now think of this context when God spoke the world into being at creation he just uttered his voice is what Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God did not create with his hands he did not manufacture because he is a spirit he merely speaks and things come into being he utters his voice and all the starry hosts come forth God is the only one who counts the stars Psalm 147 says that not only does he count them, he gives them each their names. And even though uh, astronomers say that there's 5,000 observable stars, there are, they think, billions just in this one galaxy. And hundreds of millions of billions in the, you know, whatever. And God is making a point to Abram, isn't he? Abram? Abram? All I had to do for this to be what it is, is what? Speak. And to you, Abram, I have spoken my word. If I can fling the stars into their spaces and hold them there by my sovereign will, so surely can I accomplish my word to you. In the words of the prophet Jeremiah Jeremiah 32, 17, O Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God is teaching Abram that his promises are sure and true. And to help Abram and encourage Abram to meet his struggling faith with assurance, he gives him this sign, this visible picture. And here is this principle that we see all throughout the scriptures. That God, when he makes a promise, attaches a sign to the promise. So that as you think of the promise, you can look at the sign and know that the promise is true because you see the sign. Promise of a multitude of offspring, the stars in the sky. And the principle in the Bible is that God attaches signs to his promises not to make them more sure, but to make us more confident in his promises. Preach the word to the ear. Now here is the word to the eye, but it's the same word. And this is essential in the Christian life because that's exactly what a sacrament is. Isn't it a visible sign confirming a spiritual reality? Think of the Lord's Supper. Think of the covenant promises that the Lord makes to you in the supper. Eat the bread, take the cup, and look and see that your sins are forgiven. The sign of points to the promise the promise is as true as the reality of what you hold in your hands and for Abram God is saying my word is so true that as you look up to the skies and even attempt to number the stars my word is true and here's the point in verse 6 find Abram struggling found the Lord meeting his struggling faith with assurance as he gives him a picture, and now here's the purpose of all of this. The purpose of the promise in verse 6. No, verse 6 isn't a part of the conversation that seems to be taking place in this uh, vision thing that's happening. We don't quite understand, but the, the Lord draws out Abram and speaks to him and shows him this. But verse 6 is not a part of the conversation. It seems to be a, an editorial edition by the author, who is under divine inspiration, Moses. Moses gives us a word of explanatory comment about all of these things that we've been seeing so far since chapter 12. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. Two things about this. The first thing is is that this is an explanation, not just of Abram at this very moment, but it's a summary comment of everything that we've seen from Abram so far since chapter 12. That Abram has, verse 6, believed the Lord. Chapter 12, when he left Haran to go to Canaan and leave his father's house, he was believing the Lord. In chapter 12, when he went down to Egypt and then was rescued and came back and worshipped God, he believed the Lord that God's word and provision is better than what he could find among the pagans in Canaan or in Egypt. When Abram stays in Canaan and lets Lot wander away to Sodom, Abram believed the Lord. When Lot's foolishness puts his life at risk in chapter 14, Abram rescues Lot, believing the Lord in his promises to be in this divinely protected and provided land that God has given to Abram. Abram has rested and trusted in God, and the way Moses explains Abram's faith is that he believed the Lord. That's the, the, the first thing. The second thing that we should know about Genesis 15, verse 6 is that Genesis 15, verse 6 might be the most important Old Testament verse in the New Testament. Four different times in the New Testament, Genesis 15, 6 is quoted three times by Paul and once by James. This verse verse 6, is so central to the New Testament and also all of church history, it would be no exaggeration to say that if there was universal proper understanding about Genesis 15, verse 6, there would be no Protestant and Catholic churches. There would be one church. So what's happening then? see the elevated significance of verse 6, not just in the New Testament, but in the scope of church history. What is going on in verse 6? God has met Abram's struggling faith with assurance, and it is a word of belief on Abram's behalf where we see that as Abram believes the Lord, it says, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness. Okay? You know the saying, don't miss the forest for the trees, the trees the forest, right? There are times when reading the Bible that it is important to keep the big picture in mind. And there are other times that it is important to zoom in from the forest, not just to look at the tree, but at the bark of the tree. Sometimes small details are so important. What is going on in the second half of verse 6? What is the grammar that is happening here? Sorry to take you back to grammar school. There is a subject and there is a direct object. There is a he and there is a he. Who's the first he and who's the second he? If you skip over it and say, I don't know, that's not good enough. Who is the first he and who is the second he? Who is the he of the, the subject and who is the he of the direct object? Who is the first he? Who is the one doing the counting? He counted it to him. Who was the one doing the counting? God. God counted. Who was the one being counted? Abram. God counted Abram as righteous. This is God's decision about Abram. This verse tells us that God reckons, credits, accounts, imputes to Abram, what? Righteousness. A right standing with God on the basis of faith. Abram rested upon the sure foundation of God's word, and that foundation held Abram up. Abram is counted as righteous, not because of who he is or what he does, but rather because he merely believed. Faith. see the gospel in that? Genesis 15.6 is quoted four times in the New Testament as the Apostle Paul returns to this verse over and over through Romans, through Galatians, and James cites it to say what? That the promises of the gospel come to us by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone the life of Abram shows us this a justified believer one who with empty hands receives what God gives on the basis of faith alone this is biblical faith this is justifying faith here is an example of what true saving true justifying faith that receives and rests upon Christ He teaches us here, we're taught in Genesis 15, that biblical faith is not blind. Biblical faith is founded upon realities of God's promises. Here in Genesis 15, we're taught about biblical faith, that Abram teaches us that it is not the amount of our faith that matters. It is the object of our faith that matters. Abram's faith is waxing and waning, but it's there, and that's the point. You may have very, very little faith. Do you remember what Jesus said about little faith, what it can do when it's resting in Christ? It is not the strength of our faith that matters. It is the object of our faith, the worthiness of the object. And the object of Abram's faith is the Lord God. And in the gospel, our faith rests not in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn here that biblical faith bridges the gap with what seems like apparent contradictions between reality and promise. Right? How could God do as He promised? How could a man almost 100 years old have children? And the gospel presents to us the same seeming contradictions, impossible contradictions. How is it possible that God, being a holy God, knows my sins, loves me, and forgives me, and yet remains just? It seems as an apparent contradiction. How could my sins really, truly be forgiven when I blow it over and over and over and I come back in repentance? Surely the Father is going to come to me at a certain time and say, you know what? Enough's enough. And that's it. Faith silences the struggle and teaches us to lay hold of the one who does the impossible. Abram, fix your eyes upon the works of my word and trust and in our lives as well in the midst of what seems to be apparent contradictions, struggles, impatience, waiting on things to be fulfilled. God is simply saying to you, will you see that I am trustworthy and will you let me work? Will you be patient? Will you rest and trust in me, believing that your right standing is found in me? And so long as that is true, all will be well. Genesis 15 teaches us in these just six verses. but The rest of the chapter, as Abram has been shown something, the second half of verse 15 will show us something even more glorious than that. But here we see that God meets our struggling faith with assurance, and he gives that to us, and may you know it in Jesus Christ today, more than you have in the past, and yet more perhaps tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the opportunity to look at Abram and and see his struggle and identify with it in our own struggles, our own impatience. But yet, Lord, we want to say, even through weakness, we trust you. And so help us, we pray. Help us to be faithful. Help us to rest in you, confident that you are our Father in heaven who has provided for us your Son, in whom we have all things. Let us be content, we pray. In the power of Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.